0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, you as cashback. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This is the Intelligence Matters podcast with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morrell, sponsored by Raytheon.
1: I've known you for a long time, and I know you care deeply about a lot of things. But the Russia issue seems to me to be special to you.
0: When we saw how extensive the full-on assault Russia and its agents directed by Vladimir Putin to interfere in our most basic and critical democratic process, our presidential election process, and when we saw then-candidate Trump saying only good things about Putin, this to me felt like it was as important as anything I'll do in my public life. Social media companies, do they need to do more? Absolutely. Twitter, who was lagging, has really gotten a lot more aggressive. I'm really concerned about Google, who've tried to keep their head low. None of these companies are going to be able to get a pass here. As a former tech guy, as a venture capitalist, I don't want to stifle innovation. But the wild, wild west cannot continue.
1: Senator Mark Warner of Virginia is the ranking Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee. He was first elected to the Senate in 2008 and re-elected in 2014. During his time as the senior Democrat on the Intelligence Committee, Senator Warner has established himself as a bipartisan leader who has worked with Committee Chairman Richard Burr to try to get to the bottom of Russia's interference in the 2016 election and its continuing interference in our democracy. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Senator Warner and talk about his service on the committee. We will be right back with that conversation after a word from our sponsor, Raytheon. I'm Michael Morrell, and this is Intelligence
0: Matters. For over 50 years, Raytheon engineers have shaped tomorrow's world from space. From next-gen imaging to breakthrough missile warning systems, Raytheon is putting ideas in orbit to make the world a safer place.
1: Senator, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. It's great to have you, and most importantly, it's great to see you again. Great to see you. Um, You and I spent a lot of time together when I was acting director and deputy director, Mm -hmm. and you were on the committee. And I always enjoy talking with you, so I'm really looking forward to well, this. thank you for your service. And that's where I'd love to start, actually, is, Senator, your insights into the men and women of the intelligence community with whom you meet almost every day, both here on the Hill and when you visit them in their stations in the U.S. and their stations around the world. I want to ask you a few questions about them. And the first would be, how would you describe the intelligence officers that you know and you meet. Who are they? What are they like? What are their, what's their level of competence, their level of dedication, commitment? Could you spend a little bit of time talking sure. about
0: them? Sure. You know, this is a, an area that I've really come to learn and appreciate over the last seven or eight years. Before I was senator, I was governor and was aware of obviously the intelligence presence but didn't have that much formal inter- interaction. Uh, a big and, chunk of it in Virginia. And, and Obviously, a big chunk of it in Virginia, both in terms of um, installations and many of the folks who are posted abroad from the agency or other entities you know, retain their American residence in Virginia. And I, I came to it with you know, not that many preconceived notions. A matter of fact, I remember as I first got onto the Intelligence Committee, I didn't even realize there were 17 different mm-hmm. agencies that make up the IC. What i found – Uh, whether it's in town halls at the CIA, whether it's at town halls at NGA and NRO, traveling abroad, the men and women who serve in our intelligence community are some of our best and brightest. They are committed. They're dedicated. They work extraordinarily hard, never getting the recognition that they deserve. It is terribly important that they feel like they have the independence to speak truth to power, And that's one of my biggest concerns about this president and this administration who seems to be undercutting and undermining that independent analysis that the intelligence community provides to us as policymakers. So I've tried to carve out to be not only a good intelligence committee member and learn the issues, but I've kind of also felt I've got a unique opportunity as their kind of hometown senator to also be an advocate Around pay and retirement and benefits and just the kind of human issues. I mean, and I know I wish from we, my
1: time at the agency that, that that was deeply appreciated by. Well, I try to you know, everybody
0: showing up is part of it. Showing up and trying to give recognition, uh, doing you know, it's not a big thing. We do an Intelligence Professionals Day, honoring each year, a variety of other things, as many functions as I can to get out and and see the troops. It's it's really good. And it's, again, one of the reasons why I'm so disappointed by some of the president's words and actions towards the community. So in what you see,
1: Senator, do you believe there's any truth at all to that, that view on the part of some of our fellow citizens that there's a deep state within the intelligence community that's trying to undermine the president?
0: Absolutely not. I know there's conspiracy theories that have been around for some time. Uh, I've been to some of these international conferences. I've always waited for the secret handshake and have not seen <laughs> any of that now. And you know what I – the men and women I see in, in the intelligence community, they value service over partisanship. Uh, one of the things I'm, I've always been – I thought remarkable is I've never had a explicitly political conversation with anybody I've worked with in the intelligence community. I don't have the foggiest idea what people's politics are. What I have no doubt of though is people's loyalty to America and their willingness to put country first and um, – we do see one of the things that has come out of the internet, a lot of good, a lot of value from social media. My background is a technology guy. I appreciate that. But the internet and some of the channels out there have allowed these wacky theories to gain credence and for people to kind of discover each other that have these relatively unfounded factually theories. And what's just so frightening in a way is that in so many cases, we see the current occupant of the White House, actually accepting those theories and promoting them. So
1: so the reason I asked the question about these myths, right, about the deep state and about the political views of intelligence officers affecting their work is because I'm a little concerned that the public feud between former senior intelligence officers, and I'm one of those, and the president can create the impression, false impression, but the impression nonetheless that our intelligence agencies, that current intelligence officers are somehow politicized. And so with that in mind, I'm wondering how you think about the roles and responsibilities of former senior intelligence officers and what they should do publicly and what they shouldn't do.
0: Well, historically, I've not seen former intelligence officials weigh in. They may weigh in on a matter of specificity of policy in Iraq or a policy in Afghanistan, but they normally don't weigh in. On the politics of whoever happens to be in the White House or whoever controls Congress, but some of of the former intelligence officers, when they've had their integrity impugned, or when this president has basically denied the validity of the intelligence community, or kind of attempts to you know, undermine, in a sense, undermine rule of law, whether it's attacking the intelligence community or Justice Department or FBI, I think people got a First Amendment right to. Speak up because clearly those who sit in the existing jobs may feel the same even if they're appointed by this president, but their professionalism prevents them from saying anything while they currently are in service. So if the formers are not willing to stand up for the agencies and organizations they spent their careers working for, who will voice that support for the community. So it sounds like you're saying it's not
1: only a a right, you're saying it's a responsibility. I think it's an obligation because,
0: you know, is it really fair to the men and women, particularly in the intelligence community, who live and die by classified information, by protecting sources and methods, to allow anyone on the political field, and particularly if it's an individual like Mr. Trump, to go out and just be blasted entirely? He knows, or people around him would know that, sitting existing intelligence professionals cannot respond. So someone has to respond. And I think it's very appropriate that uh, many of the former intelligence officials have spoken up in defense of both the men and women who serve and the job they do. And from the perspective of
1: uh, Director Coates and and Director Haspel, your advice to them would be?
0: My advice to them has been, and, and I... Was very candid with both of them. I, I supported both of them, and uh, particularly Director Haspel was a was a challenging nomination process. And I asked them point blank, if this guy goes too far, and this becomes a question of following the law or following Mr. Trump, I wanted their commitment that they'd follow the law. No one in America is above the law, even with this president who doesn't seem to know how to tell the truth, and frankly ignores laws and customs and traditions uh, on a regular basis. And you know, I believe and I hope that uh, both of those individuals, Dan Coates and Gina Haspel and others who I voted to support, if we come to that breaking point, and there have been times we've gotten close, considering what may be ahead of us, so there may be times we will even get closer. I trust that they will stand up for our country first.
1: My sense when you were asking questions of Director Haspel, your other expectation was that if she ever felt pressure... To change a view for a political reason that she might not be able to stand up and say that publicly, but she needed to be able to come to you Absolutely. and the chairman, right?
0: Our, our committee, I'm, I'm very proud of our Senate Intelligence Committee. We're the last standing bipartisan group that's whether it's seems looking that into way. Russia or looking into, that way. looking into the challenges that grew out of that uh, intervention. And you know what I think Richard Burr, the chairman, and I have tried to say to the IC all the time is, hey, you, know, you do your jobs. We'll have your back. And whether it's Director Haspel or, or, for that matter, anyone else, up and down the line, if they feel they are being forced to take actions that are inappropriate, that are politicizing the information that they're supposed to be providing policymakers, they need to feel they've got a comfort to come to the committee and, and tell us. Yeah.
1: So you said right and responsibility of former senior officers to stand up for what they believe in. The president just took action as you know, against one of those, John Brennan, s- stripped him of a security clearance. You just introduced an amendment to an appropriations bill that would bar the administration from revoking security clearances for politically motivated reasons. I believe Senator Flake, Senator Blumenthal, Senator Collins are co-sponsoring that bill with you. What are the chances that that's going to pass and why did you do this? And Well, I think what-
0: if we got a vote, if we get a vote, uh, I'm pretty optimistic it'll pass. But- I think we've again seen from the majority of uh, Republican Party's leadership that they don't want votes like this. And, you know, that's the right of the majority to kind of uh, control to a degree the debate on the floor. I knew that, you know, it would be perhaps a bit of a stretch for Leader McConnell to grant a vote on this item because it is so controversial. But I thought it was really important. I really appreciate Jeff Flake and Susan Collins. And I could have many, many other particularly Democratic co-sponsors, but I wanted to keep this bipartisan, which I try to do on – Most of the work I'm working on here on the Hill to simply say, yes, the president has these rights, but they ought to be grounded in rules and norms that as far back as 1995, there was an executive order that laid out 13 different reasons why somebody should have their security clearances stripped. And there's a lot of latitude in that. It's about allegiance in the United States or allegiance to a foreign power, uh, challenges with drugs or alcohol. There's a, a normal with cause reasons. But nowhere on that list was there something that says, well, I can strip you of your clearance because I don't like what you're saying about an administration's policies. Uh, That's just counter to basic First Amendment rights and it's counter to, again, what we talked about earlier. I think the rights and responsibilities of these former intelligence officials to weigh in, particularly when the community is under such assault. Unfortunately, I don't think we will get a vote, but the fact that we had a bipartisan uh, amendment the fact that we will have bipartisan legislation that we will file as well, with the hope that if this president continues down this path because you know, obviously Mr. Trump and John Brennan have had harsh, harsh words and but what bothered me as much as the challenge about Brennan was the silencing effect of this Nixonian enemies list that was enumerated by the White House of people that might be next. It was almost – and then the president says they're going to prepare all the paperwork, and it sounded to me like they're preparing the paperwork so that they can roll this out to distract Americans, uh, the next bad news cycle they're going to have. Hmm. Although considering um, the kind of news cycles I think the White House is going to have, their enemies list may have to get larger if they're going to fully distract the American public.
1: I was involved over the weekend in, in, in getting the list of names together, right, of people who were speaking out against the president and his action. And I will tell you, Senator, that there were a number of people who said to me, I'd love to sign. I believe in what you're doing, but I can't take the risk. So that silencing effect is real already. Right.
0: The fact is that Mr. Trump's actions has already changed people's behavior. And you know the irony of what Trump did and threatened was not only formers, uh, but he had on that list a current Justice Department official that, to my knowledge, has no charges against him, has no nothing other than Donald Trump's ire. uh, But the notion that we're going to go into not just formers, but current officials and threaten them as well. uh, And that's even in some sense scarier, right? It's scary. I mean, there's jobs on the line. This is, um, you know, my friend, Bob Corker, the Senator from Tennessee probably said it best, said this is the kind of stuff you expect out of a banana republic and not the kind of things that you'd expect from the United States of America, and particularly the United States of America in 2018.
1: So these erosion of norms is really important, but I know you also worry about the the erosion of the rule of law, right, today. Over
0: a year ago, about a year ago, I, when there started to be the rumors about the president wanting to fire Bob Mueller or fire Rod Rosenstein, the Justice Department official who's overseeing the investigation after Mr. Trump's attorney general had to recuse himself, went to the floor and tried to put as much of a marker down as possible saying, you just can't fire these guys. You can't stop an ongoing investigation. And it was a pattern that we see from the White House, reinforced by some of his allies, particularly in the House, and certain news networks that go out and with this broad brush simply attack everybody at the FBI or everybody at the Justice Department, or everybody obviously involved in in the Mueller investigations. And what I think the signal and what is so absolutely reprehensible is that this president, in an effort to try to protect his own personal fortunes, is willing to impugn our rule of law and the people who are out there trying to carry out that, law. and in a sense, give them a green light that says, "Well, these guys are all part of the quote-unquote deep state, or these guys are all you know crooked, or whatever." And That gives license to people to start to think, "Well, gosh, um, you know, if the FBI and the Department of Justice are all crooked, maybe if I get a speeding ticket, I don't need to, you know, I don't need to follow that law, mm-hmm. or maybe mm-hmm. I don't need to uh, protect our country's." Security with classified information because if you suddenly grant that license to any individual to make those choices, you end up in a very scary place. And history is full of countries, even great nations, who when they undermine rule of law, those countries don't remain great very long. And this kind of damage that this man is doing, I mean the programs that he's cut can be replaced. Regulations can be refurbished. Even – Some of the crooked individuals he's placed in positions can be replaced ultimately. But this undermining of trust in rule of law, in our democratic process around the elections or the trust of our allies around the world, the the global order that in many ways the United States has led post-World War II, when they see this president so repudiate that, those are genies that once they come out of the bottle, you can't just pass a new law and – Regain that trust and confidence yes, and that's a huge for other
1: people to go down that road. Amen. We'll be right back with more of our conversation with Senator Mark Warner after a word from our sponsor.
0: Do you hear that? That's an enemy drone being led out of US airspace with a line of code. It's just one of the ways Raytheon cyber experts are helping customers stay ahead of cyber threats. Every day we pave the way to mission success. Training warfighters to succeed in the cyber domain. Modernizing platforms through software innovation. Protecting every side of cyber. Raytheon, making the world a safer place.
1: Let's switch to Russia, Senator, and I have lots of questions to ask you here. Maybe the best place to start is your passion about this. I've known you for a long time and I've watched you for a long time and I know you care deeply about a lot of things. But the Russia issue seems, seems to me to be special to you. Seems to me that you feel perhaps a sense of history here, um, that history's
0: put a responsibility on your shoulders. Can you, can you react yeah, to that? I, I did not expect a little over two years ago when I became vice chair of the Intelligence Committee who has been spending so much of my time on this subject. You know, I've had a whole set of economic issues I was working on portable benefits in a changing economy how do you make capitalism work for in a broader way and you know budget and you know kind of domestic economic issues has been really where i focused a lot earlier in my senate career and my time as governor but when we saw how extensive the full on assault of russia and its agents directed by vladimir putin to interfere in our most basic and critical democratic process our presidential election process and when we saw then candidate Trump almost saying only good things about Putin and almost parroting the Russian propaganda line even before his election, in a sense saying that the American elections might be rigged, this to me felt like it was as important as anything I'll do in my public life, and I committed. And again, want to you know, give credit to the whole committee and Richard Burr, uh, my chair from North Carolina, Republican chair. You know, we kind of linked arms and said. You know, at the end of the day, we may not fully agree on everything, but we gotta we gotta run this straight. When you've got people on either end of the political agenda, you making assumptions about where the investigation was going to end up on day one, either presuming that Trump was guilty or presuming that Trump was innocent. You know, I thought we had to play this straight, and I think history will look back on us. And you know, it's evolved from a you know increasingly tangled web of a cast of characters that if you'd put in a book or a movie wouldn't be believable because there's so many of them are so sketchy. Uh, And who knew what, when, that component that we've made progress on, obviously Mueller in his investigation I think has even more assets to bear. uh, But it's also raised huge policy questions on a going forward basis. Uh, We've talked in the past, Mike, as you know, about the absence of this is not a problem with Trump, but an absence of having an articulated cyber doctrine. Mm -hmm. So that I feel whether it's Russia's active measures or China stealing intellectual property, our near-peer adversaries have been able to whack us in the cyber domain with very little fear of retribution. And I've also seen – and it's really sharpened my thinking on what our approach ought to be around cyber. And that's a problem that's only going to get worse as we move into the internet of things and the vulnerability even increases. And then similar and and even maybe more complex – the questions around the social media platforms. I remember first raising the issue that the Russians might have interfered uh, on social media in late November of 16, and you know I'd known Mike, Mark Zuckerberg, respect him, but I remember I was kind of annoyed with his comment, which was basically blowing it off and saying anybody that thinks Facebook was manipulated was you know doesn't get it. Well, that obviously did not prove to be the case, but it really has opened up a whole realm of policy choices around social media that we're just at the front end of. And I'm trying to help my colleagues, since I had a tech background, kind of get up to steam and both when it's cyber or whether it's it's misinformation, disinformation over social media. You know, the optimistic part of me says – There's nothing about these issues that fall neatly into a Democrat-Republican left-versus-right camp. This is a Mm future-versus-past kind of issue. Are we going to lean into this future and get it right because this is not going away as a problem? uh, Or are we not going to take appropriate action? And what it's really made me uh, also think, and this is a bit of a heresy sometimes coming from a state like Virginia, we just passed a $713 billion defense budget, largest ever. 10x over what Russia spends, about 3x, 4x over what China spends. And I sometimes worry whether we are buying the world's best 20th century military in terms of tanks, ships, planes, guns, when our near peer adversaries are already in almost active conflict with America, particularly Russia, America. in the domain of cyber and misinformation and disinformation. Yes. And respectfully, I know we've talked about this in the past, I don't think we are yet up to the task. In terms of our output, and part of it is made even more difficult because we do respect individuals' personal rights. we do respect the privacy of Americans, so you know CIA finds something NSA finds something that's somebody 's masquerading as Mike Morrell from Virginia, but they 're actually posting from Macedonia you know, you identify that in Macedonia once it hits a device in America you got to throw it over the transom to the FBI and thS colleagues so our Our very structure makes us harder to compete in these new domains. Last point I want to keep going, but it's just – on this issue is I also see the marrying of both cyber and misinformation to be really where the cutting-edge challenge remains. So if somebody – a foreign actor was behind the Equifax, if behind the Equifax hack and suddenly has 150 million Americans' personal information, they can then contact you with personal information and you will open that message because it's got your social security number. If suddenly what pops up is not – Simply a fake account, but a live stream video of an image of a business leader or political leader using what's called deep fake technology you 've got that marrying of misinformation and cyber together, and boy oh boy, you know the havoc could be you know wrought upon our country not just in elections but in markets in business uh, you know, this is where the yeah. this is where struggle's going to be
1: so how well it's a great transition, so how well positioned do you think we are today? Terms of our intelligence capabilities, law enforcement capabilities, homeland security capabilities to detect, assess, defend what our adversaries are doing against us in this information space. And the reason I ask you that is because, Senator, you said earlier this month that you were concerned that even after 18 months of study, they were only scratching the surface when it comes to to understanding what the Russians did. So, how well positioned are we today to deal with this?
0: I think people are. Are trying really hard, but as you until recently, for example, most of the Russian active measures intervention in 2016, we attributed to the Internet Research Agency, which was a group of individuals, in a sense outsourced by the Russian government, run by an oligarch. A lot of activity. We've got a lot of uh, indications of what they've done. The Russian spy agencies, one of which, you know, GRU, were are starting to see a lot of their activity, but we still haven't traced back with specificity what GRU did fully in 2016. I think we've made improvements around social media, but I hear from a lot of the IC that there's a lot of working groups being stood up, but whether those working groups are actually interacting and interfacing with the social media companies and the platform companies at the appropriate level. I got a really open question. Is there there an executive executive branch department or agency that is looking at what's going on on social media? No. In a normal world with a normal White House... When we have this level of national security threat and we're in an area where we don't have our boxes aligned correctly, you know, this would be a place where there would be a leader in the White House that would assign somebody in the White House to be that convening force. Uh, said the Trump White House got rid of the top person and the position of cybersecurity, has no one in charge in election security. You know, Many of the, the individuals that Mr. Trump have appointed – at the line level at DHS or CIA or NSA are all good folks and they're trying to do the right thing. But because the lines are still a little blurry, nobody's drawing mm. that together. Mm. I mean let me give you a perfect case in point in election security, and this is partially due to you know, our federal system and elections have been closely guarded by state and, and localities. But we have a real problem, what I call the last mile. Even if we detect a foreign entity interfering at a state level or a local level, DHS and FBI can go and offer assistance, but we still leave it to the the local registrar to determine what kind of assistance he or she wants to take. And if the local registrar says, "Well, you know, I don't really need the DHS. I'm going to hire my brother-in-law who's got a great little IT firm," we as America don't know whether that last mile ever got remediated, mm-hmm. and we don't know whether the vulnerabilities are still out there. Now mm-hmm. we'll have to sort through all this. In a way that you know, I'm not interested in federalizing elections. We ought to keep our system in place, but across the board, we're gonna have to sort things out. And these are gonna get more and more complicated. One one area that I've really tried to dive into, and it just it's huge frustration because it should be like lowest hanging fruit. I think most of your listeners would realize we're moving into what's called the Internet of Things, where all of our devices are. Everything's closed. To refrigerators, <clears throat> to, to uh, your microwave. I even saw at the Consumer Electronics show a hairdryer. Every one of those surface spaces has new cyber vulnerability. And I've been pushing to at least say, with taxpayer money, if we're buying an IoT connected device, there ought to be minimum security. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still have some of the low end industries who are fighting that. So yeah, yeah, this is an yeah. active. Challenge at the governmental level in terms of our private sector partners but it's it's yeah. it's not dull yeah yeah social media companies sure you've praised Facebook
1: and Twitter for taking steps towards being more transparent um, do they need to do more
0: absolutely Facebook Zuckerberg said um, give them credit for this that it's it's uh, security is not an endpoint and we can say okay we've checked that box and can move on the bad guys whether they are Foreign agents, or for that matter, just plain old hackers and cyber criminals, are always going to continue to improve. Right. And, uh, it's a moving target. It's a moving target, and you know, And I was really reluctant. We lost about eight or nine months, the first eight or nine months of 2017, when neither Facebook or Twitter were that attentive. They've gotten better. Actually, Twitter, who was lagging, has really gotten a lot more aggressive. I'm really concerned about Google who've tried to keep their head low and stay out of the line of discussion. Google obviously owns YouTube. We've also seen some of their algorithms be manipulated on their search engine. Uh, none of these companies are going to be able to get a pass here. Yeah. So three of them, right, Google, Twitter,
1: and Facebook are coming to the committee. Early well, next Google month, is not
0: uh, – we're not sure whether Google is going to yeah. send someone at an appropriate level. We want the leaders. We don't want the lawyers. We yeah. want their leaders here because they have an obligation. And you know, I'm not going to be in this hearing trying to – You know, ding them for what happened in 2016. What I want to explore is what we can look at on a going forward basis to help inform Americans better. You know, I want to ask him, for example, should we as Americans have a right to know when we're being contacted with a post, whether that posting is by a human being or by a bot? Should we have the right to know when somebody says they're posting from Maryland and the post is actually originating in Kiev or St. Petersburg, should there at least be a geo-indicator? Not get rid of the post, but at least put a geo-indicator up there. Mm. Should we actually think about ways that we can add more competition in the space? It's. I was an old telecom guy, and it was real, it used to be really hard to be able to move from one telephone company to another until we had number portability. Should we look at data portability so we can? I can take all my Facebook posts, including my cat videos, and move them to a different site? So I don't know the answers here, but I think what I hope that will come out of this hearing coming up after Labor Day is... Both acknowledging the progress we've made and they've made, but also really saying to me, you guys got to step up and help us figure this out. And, and as a former tech guy, as a venture capitalist, I don't want to stifle innovation. I, and I sure don't want to diminish the role of the American tech companies because you've got Chinese counterparts right behind them who mm-hmm. have absolutely waiting no to support, pounce. Waiting to pounce. No protection of privacy. But the wild, wild west cannot continue. And I do think that's not only in terms of the threat to our systems – but I also think you're starting to see the American public turn when they feel like they're being manipulated,
1: particularly by, by foreign mm-hmm. actors. So then other countries, National Security Advisor John Bolton uh, said a few days ago that the administration's concerned about influence mm-hmm. operations not only from Russia but also from Iran, China and North Korea. Do you see any of that yet? Are you concerned well, about we've it?
0: We've seen both Microsoft, Facebook and I think there will be shortly an announcement from Google about Iranian activity. Uh, From my first blush review, it seems a little less sophisticated. The English isn't as good. The techniques, the the tradecraft isn't as good. I think from everything I've seen is that we will see China focus on economic activity but probably not electoral. Obviously, North Korea, we've got history back to the Mm -hmm. the Sony hack. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, there is no doubt from both volume – and sophistication and focus, Russia is far and ahead better than any of our other potential adversaries. And again, it's not just vis-a-vis us. The Russians have practiced this on yes, their own they people. Sure yep. They've practiced it on the, their near states like Ukraine, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. They've, they've done it in France, frankly, did probably better job than any country so far in terms of taking down some of the Russian threat. And what we shouldn't think it's going to go away, because I you know, we did a back of the envelope estimate and we added up All the money the Russians spent interfering in our elections, all they spent in the French elections. We even threw in uh, a fudge factor on how much they might have spent in the Brexit vote where the UK is looking. You add that all up, it's less than the cost of one new Mm F-35 airplane. This goes back to your point. This is effective, cost effective, and is an area where they are our peers at least. So this gets to
1: the the issue of deterrence, right? We clearly Mm -hmm. haven't deterred Vladimir Putin to the point that other countries are now looking at this as a possibility, what does a credible deterrence policy strategy look like, do you think?
0: What do we have to do? I believe there are – let's take this into two buckets. Let me first of all say there are low-hanging fruit around security and defense, things like basic standards for Internet of Things devices, things like informing Americans a little more – if somebody's misrepresenting themselves uh, on a Facebook post. Now again, I'm, I'm careful how we do this because I don't want to also expose the identity of the female journalist in, in Egypt. This is not easy stuff, but there are some things that could be at least first round you know, intermediary uh, tools that can be used. In terms of deterrence, and Mike, I know you you've been part of these discussions, because we are so more technologically advanced than these adversaries. We've been reluctant to use our tools kit and you, know, you shut down Moscow for 24 hours with no power and that's a problem. You shut down New York for 24 hours and you've got a crisis. Mm-hmm. So I think what we need to do – let's start with the cyber domain – is that we need to have almost a level of international agreement that there are a certain level of cyber attacks or hacks that are in a sense – beyond the pale of what is acceptable. I'm not so norms. That, yes. Like we norm, have a whole bunch it, yeah, of things. Yeah, like a lot of things. And again, I don't want to make the analogy to nuclear weapons. I'd make it more to chemical weapons or to landmines or other areas where there is this international agreement. And then if a enterprise shuts down a water system and if that becomes a norm that we're not, that says is beyond the convention, then we're going to have a lower level of standards for attribution. But we're going to go back and we're going to tell you, we're going to whack you back. Uh, on social media, you know, the government, frankly, has been pretty crummy. With all due respect, I've seen some of the products that the IC has put out. They they read like they're written by you know, government employees, not by mm-hmm. you know, uh, young folks who are familiar with the technology. We, we are going to have to use some of those tools as well to counter. I think we're getting better, but we will need offensive capability both in misinformation, disinformation, and in the cyber domain. And um, uh, we're not there yet. And I'm afraid that we're just – we're still – lots of groups are, are thinking about this, but I don't see this overall structure because it is not just as we've talked before. It's not just a – we use this term, which I know frustrates some people, whole of government effort. This is a whole of society effort. We can't fix this with just government actions only.
1: Yeah. I just want to ask one more set of questions about Russia, and that is um, you mentioned the, the great relationship you have with Chairman Burr as you're working on this issue together. What's the secret of that partnership? Is it the importance of the issue? Is it a personal relationship between you know, the two I, of you? Is it – because I, it's not something you see pretty much anywhere else in Washington. Well, it
0: may be – You know, I was a business guy before I was in politics. And in business, I got measured by what I got done. You know, if I didn't put points on the board, if I couldn't get a deal done. I didn't make any money. And maybe the biggest difference between politics and business is there an awful lot of good men and women I work with in politics – that may have had a long career that they've never got anything done. They can tell you a lot of what they're against and what they've stopped, mm-hmm. but not what they've gotten done. And I just thinking, you know, if I was the co-founder of a company called Nextel it used to be an old wireless company, if we never put out a great product. And we simply ran down the competition. We would have never, and frankly, we had some, our own set of problems, but we would have never been a viable business. And I've always believed from my time when I was governor and I'm a Democrat and the legislature was, two to one Republican, that I had to build those levels of trust. Because I think in politics, and I think the same in business, that it's, you know, maybe 50% the policy, but 50% that trust level. That your partner, you're not going to screw them. If they make a mistake or you make a mistake, you're going to stay focused on getting to yes. And you know, and I think uh with Chairman Burr it was helped because one of my my dearest friends in the Senate was Saxby Chambliss, Republican Senator, former actually chairman and vice chairman of the Intelligence Committee. And he and I had worked together on the debt and deficit issues, and we'd built a really strong personal relationship, and that carried over to Richard Burr. And and again, I give Chairman Burr a, a lot of credit because the pressure he's received, I'm sure, from this White House and others to, hey, you know, go nuclear, shut down the investigation, don't let it continue, has been great. And I think he has withstood it as well as I think we got a really good committee. People have been really. Upright and stand up. And then what can we
1: expect from the committee's investigation going forward? How much work is left? What's the timeline?
0: We've got we've got five subject areas that we've taken on. First, and this part was completed, we had to do an assessment of the intelligence community's assessment that basically said, was that report appropriate? Did Russia intervene? Was it a direction of Putin? Was it to help Trump and hurt Clinton? Unanimously came out and said uh, that was the case. Second thing was election security, and we've got a bipartisan piece of legislation right now. It's not going to fix everything, but it's going to move the ball forward, and um, my hope is it got jerked from a markup recently, but they'll get back on the docket because I think it'll pass overwhelmingly, and we've got recommendations around election security. Third area, and we are mostly done but have not put out a report on this. Uh, I think, well, I you was know, a fan of President Obama. There were certain things the Obama administration did right. There were certain things they did wrong. And we need to point out from a corrective basis, and that will be the third part. The fourth part will be social media. And we've got a major committee hearing on that coming up. And uh, again, I put out a policy set of 20 policy ideas recently just to kind of seed the debate. And I'm not sure we'll come out with conclusions, but maybe at least some directions that we ought to pursue. And then the big enchilada, you know, was there a collusion or not? Mm-hmm. And – we still have uh, a number of witnesses we need to see. The challenge with this investigation has been everybody leads to somebody else. And it if anything, the universe grows rather than mm-hmm. has been subtracted. And obviously when you've got now people like um, the president's former lawyer fixer, Mr. Cohen, saying that he is willing to come back and testify without uh, immunity, I mean, that would be high on the list. There's a number of questions. So you'll have him back. That's my hope. That's my hope. Yeah
1: senator you've been you've been incredibly generous with your time. Um, I just wanted to ask you two more questions. one about North Korea, one about China on North Korea, you asked the DNI um, a few weeks ago for a report. essentially, where are we? What are the North Koreans doing? Where do you think we are in this negotiation with the North Koreans?
0: I am worried that this president has given Americans a false sense of security. That North Korea as a trouble spot is off the table. Now listen, I commend the president for breaking some glass and actually meeting with Kim. You know, I think uh he, So he, do I you know yeah. went away from an established order, but yeah. it was the right thing to do to meet. But to come out of that meeting and say, hey, North Korea is no longer a problem, and they're on the path to denuclearization, just is not true. So um I think we need to stay vigilant. I think uh, you know, Secretary Pompeo's got the got the confidence of Mr. Trump and, you know, I hope he will push ahead, but we cannot whitewash this. And as you know, and I think people in the intel community knows, just because of the nature of, frankly, the weather and the topography of North Korea, it's really hard for us to have full eyes on North Korea and all of their potential Mm -hmm. uh, missile sites. So I think- uh, Is the
1: administration keeping the Senate informed about how the negotiations
0: are going? We are not as kept informed on- the day, you know, the, the back and forth on a specific negotiation, we are obviously from the intel community kept informed about what their assessment is of the regime's capabilities and their actions. And I can, you know, I have, I would like to be kept more informed, but I also would understand that if you're in the middle of a negotiation, you want to probably get a little bit further down the path before, you know, Congress. Even though we pride ourselves in the Senate in Intel Committee of not being god awful leakers, but uh, you know, I uh, and I'm not a fan of the president but I'm not going to yeah I'm not going to whack him for not mm-hmm. keeping us informed of each twist and turn on the negotiations and then
1: China which which we've spent a lot of time talking about Russia but at the end of the day maybe our biggest challenge globally or over the next 25 50 years is China and what is our relationship going to look like and how are we going to manage uh that relationship in a very complex world
0: how do you think about that well, this is Again, an area where I intend to spend a lot more time. My views on China have fundamentally changed over the last two, two and a half years. I was two and a half, three years ago optimistic, thought there would be some path of coexistence. I am much, much more concerned right now. I'm much more concerned in terms of China's military objectives and South China Sea and their overall military capabilities. I'm extraordinarily concerned about their investment strategy in terms of the rules of the road for American companies who I think are willing to sometimes sell their soul to get access Mm -hmm. to the Chinese market, do things they would not do in the American market or European or any other market. I'm concerned that many of the Chinese students who are coming over here are now coming because America is not viewed as this welcoming a place, particularly under Mr. Trump. And China feels like it's on the go. And I also think President Xi's government is actually requiring many of these students to come back with taking back intellectual property from our universities. I think China has a well-defined plan around artificial intelligence, 5G technology, quantum computing, the next iteration and not to be copycats. I think there are so many Americans who presume that, oh, the Chinese will just do cheap in manufacturing or mimic our, our products. No way. They're innovating now. They are innovating now. And I see, particularly in the AI space, with just the amount of data they have, they are ahead of us in things like face recognition. I believe in many areas of artificial intelligence. You take their larger population and you add on top of that. If you had Facebook, Google, and Amazon share every bit of information with the U.S. intelligence community, We'd be pretty good, but they've got that in terms of Alibaba, Badu, and Tencent, and what I'm working on real time, and it is uh, something that I have to get more to. The intelligence community has briefed us so many times with kind of hair on fire, oh my gosh, this is awful, but they have done a bad job of being able to either get a brief that can be declassified enough or for that matter, even at a classified level, that is All of the intelligence community, I've seen the CI brief, I've seen the FBI brief, I've seen the ODI brief, I've seen DIUX, I've seen every enterprise's brief. You put them all together, you got a good product. Mm. And what I'm trying to force the community to do is we are doing our country and, frankly, uh, our business community, our academic community, and investment community, a disservice if we don't get out and get in their face and say, guys, buyer beware, Mm. and the community is going to have to be willing to – frankly show more information than they have in the past and that's obviously you you've been a pro at this much longer than I but that's that normal that, that normal app, intelligence yeah, resistance, yeah, resistance to share information yeah. but in a world where we've got as much information out there open source boy oh boy we need to do that so w- what do you think the policy answer to this is well i think the policy answer has to come from strength i think that you know, on trade policy, for example, I think China plays by a different set of rules. I think they they have companies that frankly don't operate on a real market-based system. They are all indirect or directly related to the government. And I think we missed – there was a growing recognition. I've talked to lots of folks within Asia. Concern about China – but with America's walking away from global leadership, with America walking away from the TPP, which should have been not sold as a trade agreement but sold as a, an security. international security yep. agreement, yep. Yep. you know, they got to see who's going to – be. if they feel like China's going to be in charge, we're not building that alliance enough. Uh, I think around the business area, uh, not just with what's called CFIUS, our ability to review investment. We got to be much more forward-leaning. We got to get our business community – to be aware, and, and I continue to hear, and I think from Fortune one hundred companies who 've spent a lot of time in China who are starting to realize we 've been here ten years we 've made money on paper, but we 've not able to get any of our money out mm-hmm. I, I worry about academia you we, we've many of our universities they have twenty to thirty percent of their students now foreign based and mostly chinese um, and I think uh, Not all – listen, I welcome foreign-based students. I think it's one of our greatest assets. I think there is something uniquely different about some of the Chinese students now with their mission as opposed to in the past or other countries who still want to come here and and prosper in America. So I think we need a much more articulated wariness of China, not conflict, but wariness than we have – and I think the rest of the world would look to us for that leadership because I think they have – they have seen as well – I mean you can think about even second and third world countries which have been seduced into natural resource deals with China with the promise of China building a big institution and yeah. providing a lot of jobs. Well, they may have gotten the dam built, but it was built by Chinese labor, not by yeah. by labor from those countries. So but, I think there was a chance to put that coalition together.
1: But without that U- US leadership, right, the rest of the world
0: gets sucked into the, China. The one thing um, – and this sounds uh, – you know nationalistic or jingoistic or politically incorrect, but the one thing that I've seen in the seven or eight years you know, behind the curtain on the intelligence community is on virtually any issue, waiting for the rest of the world to get their act together without American leadership, we're going to wait a long time. Doesn't happen. And I said, even with our partners in Europe, leading a charge towards democracy or human rights, uh, a lot of well-intentioned entities, but the folks need American leadership. Yeah. Senator, thank you for your time. I know that there
1: aren't a lot of political benefits to serving on the intelligence committees, but thank you for your service. Thank you, It's Mike. incredibly important.
0: Thanks so much. Thanks.
1: That was Senator Mark Warner. I'm Michael Morell. Please join us next week for another episode of Intelligence Matters.